Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That's audible.ca slash C-A-N-A-D-A. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software. On average, FreshBooks saves users up to 192 hours a year by taking care of tedious accounting tasks and giving you more time to do what you love. FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial for Oppo listeners. All you have to do to get that offer is go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com oppo. From Canadaland, this is Oppo. I'm Jen Gerson in Calgary, and I'm contentedly gestating. And I'm Justin Ling in Toronto, and that sentence creeped me out. On this week's show, is Jason Kenney's referendum on equalization payments going to totally destroy Canada as we know it? And are new election financing rules muzzling environmental groups? Lastly, an election call is just a few weeks away, so we're going to run down some of those fresh political faces you should keep an eye on. They are going to be the trained clapping seals of the future. Yay! Arf, 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 arf. And everyone should stick around to the very end of the show because we have some big news and it's not just Jen's pregnancy. Oops, wait, I popped. Hey, 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 wait a second. I feel like we're missing something. Wasn't there some big news or something in politics since our last show? Something about an ethics commissioner report and the SNC scandal wasn't a story according to you. And then it was a story for like four months. Not ringing any bells. And then it crashed the liberals' polls. uh, And then, you know, all of a sudden it stopped being a story. And now it's a story again. Not off the top of my head. Nope, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Okay, fine, Jen. The ethics commissioner over the last couple of weeks determined very surprisingly that the prime minister violated the Conflict of Interest Act and slapped him on the wrist for it. I I didn't see this coming. You heard us discuss it on the show before. Neither of us thought the ethics commissioner had enough teeth to do this, but here it is. You're right. The mea culpa continues, Jen. If if we have a federal government that proceeds with these uh, damaging bills proceeds with the carbon tax threat and doesn't do everything it can within its power to get uh, Trans Mountain expansion done, then we will have a referendum on equalization in uh, October of 2021. So, Jen, I hear that Jason Kenney wants to separate from the rest of Canada. It sounds like we're on a crash course to have Alberta being the first province to secede from Canada if Jason Kenney doesn't get his way on equalization. I am going to confess, I have followed none of this. Uh, <laughs> I am completely out of the loop oh, here. shit, I'm going to have to explain all of this, aren't I? <laughs> yes, please do. All right, let's start from the top. Firstly, I'm going to simplify this because this is not a public policy lecture. This is fucking oppo. Um, but basically... In case you weren't aware, we have a program in this country called Equalization. Now, Equalization is when the federal government transfers a thwack of cash to quote-unquote have-not provinces. Provinces that have lower fiscal capacity so that all of the provinces can more or less provide the same quality of services across the board. So if you're living in PEI or Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, you more or less get access to the same healthcare and education as if you're living in BC or Alberta or Ontario. That sounds like a good thing. Yeah, on the whole, it's a pretty good thing. Except there is a slight imbalance in how this system kind of works. So 
Alberta kind of does get screwed on equalization payments, but not in the way that people understand it. The way that a lot of politicians, especially in Alberta, like to portray it is this idea that Alberta, the the province, is just writing this massive check to Ottawa and Ottawa is using that check to just buy off votes in more populous regions like Ontario and Quebec. Like it's a bit of a scam. But that's not how the system works. There is no check that goes from Alberta to Ottawa. What happens is because of Alberta's sort of rich natural resources, including its oil and gas sector, um, we have really, really high wages compared to the rest of the country here. And because we have high wages, that means we have high income taxes. And that means that Ottawa gets much more money from Alberta per capita than it gets from other provinces. And because we also have a young population, what it means is that Alberta is paying more into the federal coffers than it's getting back in spending and transfers to the tune of about $20 billion a year. So it's not insignificant. And then when you add on top of that, the idea that the rest of Canada basically hates us and wants to shut down the very oil and gas sector that's allowing us to contribute to confederation at these levels, that's where you get the sense of unfairness and hypocrisy and sense that, the, that Alberta is, is genuinely getting screwed. And that's, you know, kind of a fair point. But it's not getting screwed because Ottawa is like stealing money from Alberta and giving it away to less deserving provinces. It's kind of getting screwed by virtue of the fact that we're really, really well off and we're young, right? And if, if you think about this in other levels, like for the provincial level or the municipal level, wealthier areas, wealthier communities subsidize the services of less wealthy areas and less wealthy communities. This happens at every level of government, municipally and provincially as well. It's kind of your own damn fault at a certain point. Well, yes and no. I mean, like I said, th there there is an inequity here, right? Like, we make a lot of money, we're really young. As a result, we contribute a lot of money to Canada. And Canada's sort of response to that contribution is, fuck you, oil and gas. But the way that this program gets portrayed to local Albertans is where that gets really unfair. And yeah, you know what? The reason why Alberta is struggling with a massive deficit and putting on all this debt has to do with the fact that our spending is really high per capita and our tax take is really, really low. And we've tried to fill the difference between those two numbers by over relying on oil and gas revenues that disappeared in 2015. So like that is our fault. That is on us. And the only way to fix that is probably a combination of reducing spending or capping spending and, you know, slowly bringing up revenue through taxes until those two numbers meet and becoming way less reliant on oil and gas revenue. And there's nothing Ottawa can do about that. That is a choice that Alberta has made and, ha and continues to make. I think that's why I'm generally surprised that Jason Kenney decided to go down this road. So during the campaign, during the provincial campaign, where, you know, he obviously won a big majority government, he started banging this drum, which I think is a pretty dangerous one to, to bang. I mean, like, you, you, I think you've laid it out pretty well. You know, this is a disingenuous effort. You know, you're not giving Ottawa a bunch of money. This is a program to ensure a consistent level of service across um, the provinces. Alberta has made the choice not to to raise taxes. So I, I guess to some degree, I'm surprised he got into office and actually went and did it. This seems like a game of chicken where, you know, what is the end game here? What is he genuinely hoping to achieve from this other than like radicalizing his own voters against equalization? Even more than they already are. Yeah, no, there's a couple of things going on. Firstly, like, let's not pretend that there aren't some legitimate concerns with equalization as a program, because there are. Why does such a huge chunk of equalization perpetually go to Quebec? 
You know, like, I think that it would be less of a problem if you saw equalization go to provinces like Newfoundland or, or the Atlantic provinces. I don't think any, anybody in Alberta would necessarily object to that. But why are they going to the most populous, wealthy provinces in the country? Why is Ontario considered a have-not province? That's absurd. You know, the, these are fair issues. Transfers always take place in jurisdictions between high, high wealth and low wealth areas. But, you know, at a certain point, you, you do have to ask whether or not the transfer is fair or reasonable and whether or not certain areas are being perpetually penalized over other, other ones. And if that's true, is that fair? I, th- I think that there's some questions that Alberta um, could rightly ask about this. And I don't think all of the anger toward equalization is necessarily misguided. But what is Kenny doing? Is Kenny stoking the anger toward equalization? Afraid not, kids. Albertans have been feeling alienated and pissed off about equalization in the current formula and the current situation for decades. And it, there is no question in my mind that the crash of 2015 has exacerbated existing fault lines and tensions to the point of being insane. Kenny's not responsible for that. What Kenny is doing um, is something a little bit different. The rise of the Reform Party got a lot of its juice on Western alienation. Um, and the fact that, you know, there was a huge chunk of Alberta and especially Alberta conservatives who actually did want to separate from the country because they're like, look, fiscally speaking, we've got a bad deal here. We've been screwed over. We'd be better off as an independent state. And so you had people like Preston Manning come forward and say, look, if we don't channel some of this anger and the separatist sentiment into mainstream politics, it's going to boil over into a populist overthrow that could go in really, really unpredictable ways. So their plan was rather than say, hey, don't go the separatist route. Our motto is the West wants in. We're going to channel all of this anger into a movement that will actually give us a real say and real power in Ottawa. And that was how they created the reform movement. And we don't need to get into the details of that. But it was a pretty successful way of moving a lot of that anger and sentiment out of crazy fringe fuck the world, burn the world down politics and into sort of a mainstream vessel or channel. That is what I think Kenny is really trying to recreate here. He's saying, look, there is an incredibly angry populist separatist sentiment that is alive and well in Alberta. And there is, by the way, Kenny ain't making that up. And so when he is trying to start this equalization referendum, what he's trying to do is he's trying to find mainstream ways of channeling that anger. There's a plus side to that. And there's a dangerous side to that. The plus side to that is that it could actually work. It could actually get people away from talking about leaving Canada and into ways of trying to constructively engage with politics as it is to make positive change. Here's how this whole system could totally backfire. The equalization referendum, as Kenny has promised it, is complete and total bullshit. You can't just hold a referendum that forces the federal government to like renegotiate equalization. That's not how it works. And I've talked to Ted Morton about this, who was sort of the the brainchild of this particular idea. And he basically admitted this and he said, look, you could hold a referendum that says, are we dissatisfied with equalization? And if that referendum were to pass with a 50% plus one mandate, you could maybe force some kind of meeting with the federal government, but it doesn't actually force them to renegotiate the formula. What it would essentially do is is it might hypothetically maybe force a couple of people into a room for a 20 minute meeting and at the end of it you know Justin Trudeau could be like thanks for coming out kids we're not changing anything and walk out like the referendum doesn't give you real legal leverage 
what it might give Alberta is some political leverage to sort of address some of the problems. So the problem that I have with this whole referendum idea is that if it doesn't actually work, if, if all it generates is a, is a giant publicity stunt, then what happens? You know, then what happens with all of this anger? Here's my big question. You know, the, the Jason Kennedy's of the world, the Wild Rose parties, the reform parties, the, one of their big beefs with equalization has been the part of the equation takes in resource res revenue. But if we were to tweak that, what does Alberta really get? Nothing. Would it see oh, less nothing. money going to Quebec? Would that be a victory in and of itself? Does Alberta want, like, does Alberta expect equalization payments? Because I'm not sure if you reject the formula to to take out uh, resource revenue, Alberta would even get some of the change. No, they wouldn't. I mean, and this is this is actually why part of the conversation around, around uh, equalization is so misleading, is that even if you were to sort of uh, factor in resource revenue into equalization, the idea being that if Quebec were to factor in a lot of its hydro revenue into its fiscal capacity. That might, I think, reduce um, some of the revenue that it qualifies for as a have-not province, but it wouldn't do anything for Alberta. There is no plausible equalization formula where Alberta gets written a check. And this is because we're so much richer than the rest of the country. There's a profound irony here in that Alberta is, bases so much of this objection on the idea that uh, Quebec wants to spit in Alberta's face and Quebec wants to be independent and Quebec wants, you know, wants, wants, wants. Um, but the entire premise of changing equalization is just to spit in Quebec's face. It, it just does feel so petty. Why does a province like Quebec get so much money always, consistently, all the time? And does the, does the current equalization formula create an incentive for provinces like Quebec to be more and more dependent on the federal government financially? And does that actually harm Quebec's economic independence and, and viability in the long run? I mean, I think those are fair questions to ask. It's not as though Quebec is a drag on the Canadian economy. I mean, Quebec, um, you know, leads the country in, in many right, sectors. Right, so then how come they're collecting so much money in, in equalization? Well, because they've built out a social state that works better. But now we're getting into the conversation about equal funding for equal services, right? Like, Alberta can't afford cheap daycare. Like, we can't afford that right now. But Alberta could choose to do that. It would just need to raise the tax revenue to do it. It could hypothetically do that, but it chooses not to because it thinks its, it's competitiveness um, relies on a lower tax rate. So here's here's where you get into, like, the difference between um, some fair questions about equalization and how it works and demagoguery that is intended to, uh, you know, make people angry about the fact that we're getting a, a raw deal um, in Confederation. So here's what I will say, though. I mean, because I, I think there is a, a real nugget of, of, of actual kind of honesty here and like, correctness in that in factoring in uh, resource revenue, it really does sort of smooth over some um, some broader problems and some inequities in the system. I mean, Newfoundland and Labrador is still considered a have province and doesn't see a dime in equalization and probably won't for a couple of years because of its past oil revenue. Um, and, and they were demanding basically similar changes to the the, the, the changes that Jason Kenney wants to make now. Uh, and the federal government shut the door to that last year and, and says it's going to keep the current formula till about 2024. So, you know, there actually is a pretty good point to be made that Newfoundland, you know, a province teetering on the brink of financial ruin, doesn't get a dime in equalization, and it could actually start seeing declines in its social services. Yeah, and that's actually legitimately bullshit. Ottawa could absolutely uh, make tweaks to its equalization formula to address exactly the sorts of issues that you're that you're bringing up. But let's be realistic when we're talking about Alberta. There's almost nothing likely to change about equalization even after a referenda that's going to all of a sudden, you know, see Ottawa hand Alberta some multi-billion dollar check that fixes its deficit woes. That is not a reasonable or plausible outcome of a referenda. The point of the referenda is really to try and give Jason Kenney a theatrical bat 
with which to try and negotiate things like pipeline access and C-48, the no tanker bill, and C-69, which is the, uh, it's the environmental assessment pipeline bill, right? Yeah. Like that is the whole idea. Um, and in the process, it is also to give the people of Alberta who are really genuinely very angry kind of a legitimate outlet for some of that anger in the hopes that by the time a referendum actually gets played out, um, either the price of oil is going to come back or the pipeline is going to get built and some of this anger will, will in effect dissipate. That's deeply frustrating because, you know, like, like I said, you know, there are options here to fix this. The parliamentary budget officer put out a report uh, in 2018 outlining some kind of possible tweaks, and they are just tweaks, you know, changes to the, the resource revenue formula, changes to um, some of the fiscal capacity gap. And if you kind of went forward with some of those tweaks, you could see significant changes to the way in which either Quebec receives money, even Ontario, because of course Ontario is now technically a have-not province. They don't receive that much money, but they do receive some equalization payments. Uh, and, and Newfoundland, who's getting, you know, the short end of the stick here. Um, so I think it's frustrating to watch... Kenny play this demagogue populist instead of actually sort of earnestly engaging with what is a pretty legitimate public policy concern. Um, and, and I think it's funny because his sort of, you know, bloviating on this totally just sort of sidelines Newfoundland and Labrador, which is voicing this kind of very legitimate criticism that is actually seriously impacting their ability to run a province. I think Alberta should reach out to more to Newfoundland and, and, and form a natural alliance there. But at the same time, when people like Kenny come forward and be like, look, we're dealing with a separatist sentiment in our province and it's over some of these very legitimate issues. He then gets cast as this villain who's, you know, some kind of secret pro-separatist um, and who is secretly trying to undermine national unity. And that is where I, as an Albertan, get pissed off because I'm like, no, he's actually just expressing what's on the ground. Like, I was writing and reporting about this separate separatist sentiment well before Jason Kenney was ever talking about coming back to the scene. This was something that was going to come out in one way or another and needed to be addressed in mainstream politics. But he's not managing it. He's exacerbating it. I don't think he's exacerbating. I think he's giving voice to it. And I think in his own mind, you don't make these sorts of problems go away by not talking about them and pretending they're not there. But you also don't make them go away by holding a fucking referendum with their primary concern as the ballot question. Well, and a referendum that is actually completely useless. As I said, I think the referendum is pretty dangerous and pretty dumb, to be blunt. If Scheer gets elected, it, it'll it'll go away on its own. But I also see a huge double standard here because, you know, in Quebec, you have actual federal and provincial parties that are devoted to separatism. Yet Jason Kenney comes forward and says, uh, we have a separatist sentiment here and it's based on some of your federal policies. And he becomes the national fucking villain for saying what's actually on the ground. He's threatening to hold a kind of stupid referendum on equalization payments that is going to go nowhere. But that's going to stoke anti-Canadian sentiment in Alberta. How could it not? I think it risks doing that. But I think there's also a possibility that what the, the actual end game could be is that the referendum will actually channel a lot of that separatist sentiment and neutralize it. And I think it's a high stakes game. Well, he, he's trying to stoke an internal trade war against British Columbia. Well, so did Notley. Uh, he's, he's going hard at Quebec uh, and blaming the federal government of basically taking and taking and taking from Which Alberta. I mean, did. these are all the core elements of what separatism looks like. No, separatism looks like an actual movement that is actively moving to separate from Canada. As far as I can tell, there is no organized separatist movement in Alberta. There isn't. Yet. Well, no, I think that there's a tightrope here. I think that there's a tightrope that Kenny's going to have to walk because, you know, having given voice to this anger, if he can't actually follow through on some of these promises, if we don't see, for example, oil come back, if we don't see the economy start to come back as a result of his tax cuts, if we don't see the uh, federal government acquiesce on um, some of these pipeline and, and environmental bills, if we don't see Trans Mountain hit the ground, if we don't see some of these real um, changes 
as a result of Kenny's promises, then what I think you're going to start to see is more and more fringe elements of politics have a much, much greater voice and platform and them say, say things like, well, heck, that Federalist Kenny wasn't able to get the shit done. Now we're going to have to take things into our own hands. That is when things get dangerous in Alberta. And that's when you could see a rise of a separatist sentiment. Or it's when you can see Kenny play exactly into those movements. There is no smart, organized separatist sentiment in Alberta because Alberta is a landlocked province of four million people. And separatism doesn't solve any of these fucking problems. Oh, it, it is for now. Wait till British Columbia is underwater and then talk to me. I mean, if British Columbia is underwater and we can take over a couple of the mountain ranges, that becomes a whole different conversation. But even that's hard to do with a population of four million. (laughs) Uh, If we could take like Saskatchewan and BC with us and create the great nation of Cascadia, well, that also would be another conversation. But I don't think that that's within the realm of possibility, given the political realities on the ground today. Jen Gerson endorses Cascadia. Look, Jen Gerson, president of Cascadia. (laughs) 2035. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. On Audible, you can find new books like Fall, the new novel by Neil Stevenson. This one's narrated by Malcolm Hilgartner. I haven't listened to this book yet, but it is the next on my list. I've really enjoyed Stevenson's previous books like Snow Crash and Anathem. His books are typically a really cool combination of sci-fi and futurism, and they're just mind-blowing to read. Fall is a science fiction thriller that takes place in the near future in parallel worlds. When the lead character dies, his brain is scanned and all of its data structures are uploaded to the cloud until it can eventually be revived. In later years, technology allows his brain to be turned back on. So an eternal afterlife is created where humans continue to exist as digital souls. But it's not quite the utopia you'd think. Listen to Fall and so many other novels and pieces of nonfiction with Audible. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That's audible.ca slash C-A-N-A-D-A. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, if you're a freelancer like I am, you know that the day-to-day accounting tasks suck. It is my least favorite part of the job. It just eats up so much time that I could better spend, I don't know, tweeting or preparing for the show or, I don't know, digging up government secrets. But instead, I find myself going through old invoices, duplicating them, editing them. It's just a complete pain. All of that has changed since I got FreshBooks. FreshBooks is quick, it's easy, it's intuitive, most of it is automated for you, it spits out reports so easily, it makes your taxes so simple, and it lets you keep track of all your late payments and harass the people who have not paid you on time because that is the worst. FreshBooks saves users up to 192 hours a year, and every one of those hours is much better spent doing literally anything else. FreshBooks also gets you paid two times faster because it's so much easier to annoy people into paying you on time. FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial for Oppo listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash oppo. We begin with a puzzling story that could have an impact on the federal election campaign. Elections Canada has warned at least one environmental group that saying climate change is real or an emergency could be seen as partisan. So, Jen, over the past few weeks, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but there's been a whole bunch of headlines proclaiming things like environmental groups barred from saying climate change is real because it could be seen as partisan during election. 
Jen, you even sent me a link to one of these stories as proof that Bill C-76, the Liberals' election bill, is total garbage. Well, it does sort of seem like a law that says that you can't talk about climate change, uh, otherwise it will be construed as a partisan issue. Might be kind of garbage, Justin. Yeah, but th the law doesn't say that. This story, this entire concern is complete and utter horseshit. Are we going to get angry emails from our colleagues again this week, Justin? Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> this story is nonsense. It's just not, it is It is stupid. I'm sure that some lawyer at one of these organizations just gave them an overly cautious opinion, and now it's turned into this full-blown panic uh, over this elections bill, and it's completely nonsense. L let me break this down, because it's driving me crazy. So the, the root of all of this, there's a group called Environmental Defense, and the executive director, Tim Gray, told the Canadian press that his concern was that the bill and how it governs third party advertising can totally muzzle environmental groups. He said, quote, at this point, unless I can get greater clarification after the writ is dropped, we will stop doing anything online that talks about climate change. That is stupid. That it completely misunderstands what the bill actually does. So if you're unfamiliar, Bill C-76 changed the Elections Canada Act to basically govern how third parties do partisan election advertising. Now, First off, partisan election advertising means advertising you pay for. You can put out as many tweets, as many Facebook posts, as many reports or blog updates or whatever as you want. If you're not actually paying money to promote it, It this doesn't apply. So you can talk, you can give interviews, you can put stuff online. None of that is engaged by Bill C-76 until you start spending money. So that's first things first. Nobody's muzzled here. Nobody has to shut up. It depends on if you're spending money specifically to promote that thing online, on TV, on the radio, in the newspaper. Okay? Step one. The, put that aside. But apart from that, as long as it's not specifically partisan in nature, you're going to be fine. So I, I should say, and this is important to note, that there, there is some lack of clarity here, and it's entirely Elections Canada's fault. Elections Canada has decided to muddy the waters by putting out kind of this vague statement about um, issues advertising. That is an issue that can be clearly associated with the candidate or party. They say that this sort of advertising could be captured by the law, but they haven't really provided any fucking guidance for how this is supposed to work, which is maddening. And I do sort of sympathize with these environmental groups that, that are confused by this. Elections Canada's position is also that this has been part of the law for you know decades and this is not actually new. All that being said, maybe it's fucking okay that the law does capture them. If Elections Canada does decide that that's what they're trying to say, maybe it's okay that these groups have to register as third parties because let's, let's not be cute. I mean, if you are Greenpeace, you're not cool with a conservative government. You do have a partisan, political, specific candidate horse in the race, and let's not pretend like you don't. We have an election that we're going into right now where you have most environmental groups coming out against the conservatives' uh, environmental policies. You've got the conservatives explicitly running against the carbon tax and making that one of their front burner issues for the campaign. And then you've got left-leaning uh, groups, the NDP liberals and the uh, Greens, who are making climate change one of their top issues. So isn't an environmental group coming out talking about climate change in an inflammatory way, even if it's not endorsing or trashing a specific party by name, would that not be partisan? This is exactly what drives me crazy, is that we cannot walk around being so naive as to pretend that groups like environmental defense are totally nonpartisan actors who are fine with any party getting elected because it's just not the fucking case. Whoa, 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 clear. whoa, Mr. Conservative over <laughs> I here. I don't mean to blow your mind. 
Next thing you'll be telling me they're foreign funded too, man. Like, come on. <laughs> like, let's not pretend that Greenpeace is cool with like Maxime Bernier being prime minister. Would it really be so bad if we did consider them partisan actors? Because, hey, they kind of are. And the law doesn't muzzle anybody. It, worst case scenario for these groups, they have to register as a third party and report the fundraising they do around these ads and the amount they spend on these ads. That is not muzzling. That is a pretty reasonable set of rules that would apply to most partisan actors in a selection. It's not obscene to think that they have to do this. Unions have to do this. Ontario Proud has to do this. A whole bunch of groups have to do this. Friends of the CBC, for example. We're we're not, you know, crying foul because friends of the CBC have to tell Elections Canada what they spend their money on. Why are we so offended that Greenpeace and Environmental Defense would have to do the same? It is a pretty reasonable law, and how there's any outrage about this is completely befuddling me. I think you've just got your Alberta card back, Justin. <laughs> I, I will say a tiny little a caveat here. Some of these groups are concerned that if they register, it would jeopardize their status as a, a charity under the Canadian Revenue Agency uh, rules that, that kind of forbid you from being specifically partisan. But again, I, I, if they haven't run afoul of those rules yet, I don't see how registering in, as, with Elections Canada would change that at all. There's there's plenty of uh, generally nonpartisan groups that are registered as third parties that are still allowed to keep their, their, their charitable status. So I, I don't get where this concern is coming from. It's completely insane. That being said, I, I, I don't want to go to the other end and start saying that we need to have, you know, a, a snooper trooper group like Jason Kenney is setting up in Alberta to go ferret out all of this illicit, I don't know, Saudi money that's supposedly funding all of our environmental groups because that's just insane. It's Rockefeller money, man. We are days away from the official start of the 2019 election campaign. Oh, may gosh have mercy on all of our souls. We're going to have a fascinating campaign talking about carbon taxes and uh, chocolate milk and food groups uh, and racism and homophobia and comments uh, 14 years ago. <laughs> Sheer's bad man. As much as this election is almost certainly going to be a referendum on Justin Trudeau, the parties have started lining up their heavy hitter candidates. So, Jen, we are going to play a round of Better Know a Candidate. So, Jen, I'm going to start us off. I'm going to be taking the east coast of the country. You can have the other side. Um, and I want to talk about a pair of candidates running for the liberals and the conservatives that are totally setting up Nova Scotia. To, I, I'm serious here to be the most interesting battleground of the election. Mark my words, maybe. Um, the polls currently have the Liberals and Tories pretty close throughout Atlantic Canada. The Liberals uh, are obviously maintaining a bit of a lead. They did sweep the entire province and, of course, all of Atlantic Canada in the last election. And the polls are basically showing the Greens and the NDP way back. Not huge factors out there, maybe in you know Charlottetown, Halifax. We'll see. Um, but just outside Halifax is a riding called Cumberland Colchester, and it's it's one of the most interesting and weird ridings. Um, it's been kind of universally conservative, with only kind of two exceptions. Um, but uh, more than a decade ago, you know, its longtime MP Bill Casey, who had been in, in the seat since 1988, um, resigned from the Conservatives over the Atlantic Accord, ended up running as an independent and winning, became kind of a folk hero. Resigned, the Conservatives took the riding back. Now, it's super interesting because Bill Casey came back to run for the Liberals in 2015, then decided he was only going to serve one term, so now the, the riding is open again. The Conservatives are feeling their former MP from the riding, and the Liberals 
snagged up Lenore Zahn, who's an MLA in the Nova Scotia legislature and a former cabinet minister in that province. Here's the twist. She's a new Democrat. The NDP couldn't even get her to run. The Liberals are running her as their star candidate. She formerly ran for the leadership of the Nova Scotia NDP, narrowly lost. Now she's running for the Liberals. It's going to be a super interesting race, and I can only imagine just is compounding the intense misery of the NDP out east. Now, Riding a little bit further north in central Nova, it's Peter McKay's former riding. The Conservatives are the one with the superstar candidate. They're running George Canyon, the the country music star who is, I, I'm quite confident, a big name in that riding, which loves its country music. If you've ever been to rural Nova Scotia, you know they are big in the country. Um, so I, you know, I think the Conservatives are super excited to have some quasi-celebrity running for them because... They don't really have a lot. They don't have a lot of star power in that party, Jen. I'm not sure if you've noticed. Um, so I think both of those ridings are, are promising to be uh, super exciting races. Oh man, that reminds me of the uh, conservative candidate who bought the skull. What? Didn't you hear about this? Uh, this is one of my favorite candidates to watch. Uh, Claire Ratti is running for the conservatives in Skeena Bulky Valley, which is a riding held currently by Nathan Cullen. And it, it was includes, not running again. That's right. And it includes Prince Rupert, Smithers, Terrace, and Haida Gwaii. She's actually a really interesting case. So she's a small business owner, but she's quite young. She's a tattoo artist and a owner of Kitimat's first tattoo star studio, along with her partner, Oliver. So she's actually very cool. And if you look at her, like she's got like uh, the piercings on her cheeks. So she's she's a sort of a new face for conservative politics. Um, and so she got a lot of attention early on until she found herself in the midst of a controversy. That's because she bought her boyfriend a human skull online. What? Apparently the two are artists and believe that the human skull... Um, you know, would help inspire their art. Anyway, um, uh, APTN kind of broke this particular story because uh, they were a little bit concerned about the origin of the human skull. She's claiming that the origin of the human skull is European and, it, you know, it all is was above board, totally legal. And I have actually happened to have looked into purchasing a human skull myself. What? There is a trade in legal human skulls and you can buy them. Um, you can't buy skulls online that may have come from... Uh, uh, indigenous burial sites, for example, but you know you could buy a European human skull and have it shipped to you. That is that is to the best of my knowledge legal. Do not take Oppo for any kind of legal advice. We are not lawyers here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, so that's a writing that could be interesting. Can I, can I voice this that if you had told me there uh, was a, a female candidate who co-owns a tattoo parlor um, with, you know, tattoos and facial piercings, uh, who is in deep water for uh, gifting someone a human skull. All that's pretty weird. The weirdest part is that she's running for the conservatives. <laughs> like, that's the part that sticks with me. I'm like, yeah, probably the New Democrat. Like, maybe, like, I don't know, marijuana party, conceive for the Greens, maybe in, like, an unwinnable liberal riding. I think riding. it's a uh, wonderful and promising, youthful, fresh face for the conservative party. No, and I think, I think they have to get behind this girl. <laughs> I really do. I think they have to. I'm I think into they've it. got to. I think they've got to own it. And also, as I said, like I have looked into buying a human skull because I think human skulls are fascinating <laughs> and really, really neat. Um, and it's a very interesting trade. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> We don't need to talk more about me. The other one I'm watching is uh, Vancouver Granville. Of course, this will be the race to uh, get rid of Jody Wilson-Raybould, the perpetual pain in the liberal side since for the last year. They've nominated someone by the name of Talib Nurmuhammad, 
Um, I know someone who knows the guy who's a big friend of his and says hi, says really good things. Interestingly, he dropped out of the race to be the Vision Vancouver candidate in the 2018 municipal election. Anyway, in 2011, he also ran for the federal liberals in North Vancouver, losing to conservative Andrew Saxton. This is going to be like Vancouver Granville is actually going to be a really interesting race because, uh, you know, if either Jody Wilson, Ray Bold, or Jane Philpott has a shot as an independent, I actually think that um, Wilson Rebold probably has a better shot. Um, oh, yeah. For I, sure. You know, her, a lot of her board actually quit um, to go uh, basically after she was booted from caucus, um, which means there's a pretty good chance that she still has some organizational talent behind her. Um, in addition to that, you know, she's got some pretty amazing name recognition. And uh, I think that that will be really tough even for a federal liberal to beat. So, yeah, that is be... a small urban, you know, high information riding. Which exactly. Is kind of That's your... exactly where you want to be competitive if you're someone like Jody wilson Uh The other one that I am kind of watching, I don't have a specific name for this, is that... Uh, you know, I think that generally there's an expectation that all of the liberals are going to get wiped out in Alberta. Um, that means that current energy minister um, Amarjeet Sohi probably is doomed. He's uh, running up against him is Tim Opal, who's well known in Alberta politics. He was a federal cabinet minister until he lost a seat in 2015. An, an eminently like terrifyingly likable guy. Oh, terrifyingly likable. Just just an absolute horror show of likability. Um, so he's <laughs> definitely someone who, who I would watch. Um, the other thing is Deepak O'Brien, who recently passed um, up here in Calgary. If if a liberal can actually get his act together and take over Deepak O'Brien's riding, which may be vulnerable, that's pretty much a guarantee guaranteed ministerial seat if the liberals win oh, another majority sure. because it would probably be the only liberal seat left standing in the province i would feel awful taking deepak o'brien's seat after he's like i i if i were running for any other party i just i'm not sure i would actually put my heart into campaigning no guilt and war in politics justin there's an open seat you take that seat you take it <laughs> Well, that's Oppo. We'll be back next week. Or I guess I'll be back next week because guess what? Oppo is going weekly. That's right. I didn't want to have a life anyway. Oppo will be out every damn Tuesday. If you thought you hated us now, just wait till we're on twice as often. Tell your friends. Give us an iTunes rating unless it's low and then don't just give its high iTunes rating and leave positive reviews. If you don't like us, just don't just don't review. Just just don't know. Shut your laptop. Throw it out the window. Anyway, more importantly, Jen, you have some news. I do have some news, and that is I'm going to give birth any day now. So I definitely what? will not be back weekly. How long does a pregnancy take these days? Ten oh, months, like, twelve months? Forever. 14? They takes forever. Basically I've been pregnant for as long as I could I've been alive. Well it's all coming to an end soon folks. Wish me luck and I'm going to be gone until I'm back. And when am I going to be back? I have no idea. Whenever they let me out of the postpartum psych ward. Well, uh, best of luck with having uh, one of those uh, babies. Yeah, another one of those babies. Yeah. Anybody want a guest host? If you want a guest host, get in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at oppocast and let us know what you think. And remember, you'll be sending your criticism to a vulnerable, sad, pregnant lady. <laughs> this episode of Oppo was produced by Laura Howells. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton from Candleland Media. The theme music by Nathan Burley. And I have the last word this week. And that word is hashtag Oppo baby shower. So everyone tweet <laughs> that at Jen for some reason. Awesome.